this is episode 12 of season 2 of the Climate Alarm Clock. I'm Anna Pringle. This season, we've been talking a lot about how culture can help us make sense of this crazy world and especially themes around environment and climate change. We've covered books, music, comedy, a blockbuster movie, and today, for our final culture feature this season, we're talking about a very different kind of film. When the forest has been cleared and the wolves wiped out, this place will be the richest land in the world. I'm not afraid to die, and I would do anything to get the humans out of here. Now watch closely, everyone. I'm going to show you how to kill a god. Fire! I'm here again with Kaylee Crossan, the editor of Green News and head of the Climate Alarm Clock Culture Desk, our culture aficionado. Um, and Kaylee, today we're going to talk about something a little bit different, or at least for me it was a little bit different, which is a film called, and I'm probably going to mangle the pronunciation, but it's called Princess Mononoke. Perfect. So apologies to any Japanese people out there um, who heard me say that. So tell me about this film. I hadn't heard about it until, in, in my ignorance, I hadn't heard about it until you mentioned it. And so what made you choose the film and how did you hear about it? So I am a long-standing fan of Studio Ghibli, which is the production company that put this together. It's a Hayao Miyazaki film. Hayao Miyazaki, his most famous work that people seem to know quite a bit is Spirited Away. It won, I believe, an Academy Award in 2001. So I came across this, I had like kind of, orbitedly watched Studio Ghibli movies since I was a kid. And then when I was living in Amsterdam, this would have been just after I graduated college, um, I was having a tough time and it was like a dreary January. And there was this movie theater near my apartment that was doing a Studio Ghibli month on the big screen. And for anyone who's seen Princess Mononoke, and I will just warn now, if you haven't seen it, I'm gonna be giving a big spoiler. So maybe take a break for five minutes while I tell this story. But um, I would go and see like a different film a week. And I had never, I'd seen like bits of Princess Mononoke, but I hadn't like seen it in full. So I saw it on this huge screen and it is, what I try to describe it as is like a Japanese medieval animated epic. It starts off with this absolutely insane scene of a demon possessed massive hog that like tries to attack a community and the uh, protagonist Ashitaka slays the warthog and becomes infected essentially with this demon and he gets sent away from the community and he tries to then figure out how is he going to possibly end this curse. So he ends up kind of traveling in this beautiful, like the, the artwork is absolutely incredible. I've actually been to the studio Ghibli museum in Tokyo and they have all the artwork and the watercolors in one specific room put up and it's just gorgeous, visually beautiful, beautiful film. And he comes across a, a I think it's a coal community. It's definitely like a mineral community. It's called iron town and they essentially are harvesting all these raw materials from the mountains to be able to have their community flourish. But then of course that comes at a cost to nature. So the spirits that live around the community are essentially in conflict with the community that are trying to continue to build Iron Town. And it's just, I, I'm using the word again, but just purely epic. And when I saw it for the first time when I was in Amsterdam, I like cycled home completely in a daze. And I thought about this film for weeks afterwards. And I think, Again, this is a spoiler, but I think the most powerful part of it is there's these little creatures called the Kodama, and they're these little, like, I guess, like miniature skeletons almost, and they kind of do this weird thing with their head, and they're just like fascinating to watch. They represent the health of a forest. They represent this how well nature is doing. And 
there's this big dramatic moment where the main forest spirit is slain and they all start to die. And then basically like the entire community is regrown and nature starts to return. And you see this one, it's the very last shot of the film. You see this one forest spirit come up and sit down on the grass. And it's so powerful to me because it's this idea of like, there tends to be in a lot of like, I grew up on them, don't get me wrong, but like Disney films where like everything goes wrong. And then there's this like two minute montage sometimes where, where things magically are restored to once they, what, what it once was. And this is something that people always say about Hayao Miyazaki films is that there is change permeating throughout this and that there's an outcome at the end where people ultimately move forward, but, but there has been permanent change. But it doesn't mean that you can't return to the health of nature, which was just so brilliantly done with that last shot of, of the Kodama. I just, I, I rave about it all the time. It's, it's a huge spoiler, obviously, <laughs> for the film itself, but it's just such a powerful message that I, I return to time and time again. Wow, that's a that's a great um, summary of it, and it sounds like you're very passionate about it. Um, it was made, I believe, in 1997, and does the animation hold up? I mean, I will admit I watched about 10 minutes of it with one of my kids, and they weren't grabbed by it at all. Um, does the animation hold up today, or is it fairly simplistic? So if I... People can fact check me on this if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure that Hayao Miyazaki in his studio, everything is drawn and painted by hand. Mm -hmm. So it is just like, I, I watched a New York Times um, did like a short critics pick video of it. And they described it as like the, like it's like a, a watercolor painting in all the background. So the animation absolutely holds up. It's, I wouldn't necessarily, the thing is, I think in the West, we associate a lot of animation with being a kid's, like material for children. It's not a movie for kids. It's violent. It's, it's quite, the themes are quite complex. I mean, I think if I had watched it as like a seven or eight year old, I'd have like nightmares about talking warthogs that are being possessed by demons and foxes that are not foxes, but these, they're these massive white wolves at one point in it that like are again talking. And I, I just think it wouldn't be perfect if you have a young audience, but it is very, it's very complex and it, it gets at like Irontown, the people in Irontown that you come to meet, they are, they are their own people who have their own merits and morality. And you kind of, I, I read once that your, your sympathies and your empathies kind of switch throughout the film. So it's not this, what we're very used to in Western cinema idea of like binaries of good and evil. Those roles switch throughout the film, which make it so much more human in my opinion. Yeah, I read somewhere that the Irontown was actually based on John Ford Western kind of frontier towns. And that, that's what the director had in mind as he was shaping the vision of that. Um, and also that it's more of a, like you said, it's not it's not either or, it's both. And it's the tension between people making progress, but also protecting nature. And that's kind of a theme throughout the film. Is that what you picked up from it too? Absolutely. Yeah. And like the villains in it aren't, like I said, in the, in the typical like Western fairy tale villain of like that there's just pure evil behind the motivation, um, which makes it so much more complicated in, in this case of Irontown. And, you know, by the end of it, like there's, there is no ultimate moral judgment. I feel like by the end of it, that you're kind of, that's how I felt anyway, walking away from it of sitting with the complexity of the story, which I just think Hayao Miyazaki, I've seen like most of his films, he does that so well 
of, of being able to just break free of that kind of traditional storytelling binary. And I just, I just love his work. And it was the, I mean, a huge success in Japan. It was the highest grossing film in 1997, which is, is it's not a new film. It was 1997 there um, and was only surpassed by Titanic in Japan in terms of the box office success there, which is kind of amazing to realise that considering it's not, I don't think it's that well known on this side of the world. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think also with Princess Mononoke, not only for me, like has it influenced me and my approach to things, because I watch it like every Earth Day is kind of like a way to get revved up again for my job. Um, but I think it, it influenced, um, and I know you were saying earlier before we started recording that it influenced James Cameron and Avatar, which was like a huge film. Uh, another big piece of culture that shares the same name of that, Avatar The Last Airbender, you can kind of see throughout that whole TV series that there's a lot of influence from Studio Ghibli throughout those those series. And I believe the creators themselves have said that they they were heavily influenced by that studio. So you can definitely see the ripples of of the movie itself and of the production company in lots Great. of different culture we consume, whether it has to do with climate or not. So if I need a break from looking at the climate news, um, does this give me a different perspective or does it give me a perspective on climate and environment? That's a great question. I think what it gives us that the news doesn't is, I know I've harped on about this word now six or seven times, but it is that complexity and it is that humanity throughout the story. I mean, I think also like what I find whenever I watch that film, I was saying before we started recording, I've seen this movie at least 15 times, at least is that it is escapist, but also the complexity, the questions it raises about morality are so human. And again, like I know we were talking about Parable of the Sower last week, and it again gets at that question of community and how that, that, that bolsters people throughout it. And again, that's something that we don't necessarily always see. And with the Kodama, like just the idea of that whatever happens next we might not return to what once was, but that doesn't mean that what comes next can also be good. And, you know, there's a line to go back to Parable of the Sower. There's a line in that book where Lauren is talking to a friend, I believe, and says, um, we changed the climate and now all we want to do is go back. And to kind of reckon with that idea of like doing something because it is inherently worth doing and the effort behind it, I feel like in all kind of the things that we've looked at throughout this series, that that is a thread that goes throughout. And in Princess Mononoke, like, again, for the spoiler, but at the end, like Ashitaka and San, like they are up against such insane odds. Like my heart, the first time I saw it, my heart was in my throat because I know Hayao Miyazaki and I was like, this isn't necessarily a guaranteed happy ending. Like we don't know what's going to happen here but they, they don't know the outcome. There's no way of predicting it, but they do it because it's the right thing to do. And I just think that is such a, val a valuable thing in culture. It's something that we don't always consume, not only in, in like the news that we have, but just some of the films and TV and books that we read. It's just such an important message and I would really encourage anybody to go and read it. And uh, just as a small aside, those Kodama are so influential to me that I have a, I got a print of them and they hang in my room and like, they kind of creep people out when they see them. <laughs> if you look them up, they are kind of strange looking, but just that idea of being able to move forward and have it still be precious is such a valuable thing. Wow. That you are really passionate about this movie. That is oh, great. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think a theme I'm starting to hear coming through from all of our discussions really is that theme of change being ever present, but also good people working to try to shape the change in a way that is beneficial for their community 
and, and for, for ultimately for the environment around them as well. So And um, not I knowing if it's going to work, you know. <laughs> like, but you still have to do, you still have to move ahead and you yeah, still have to exactly. do the right thing, even if you don't know what mm. the outcome is going to be. So I think that's kind of a powerful takeaway, actually. And I, I'm now committed to throwing my kids out of the room and going back and watching this film because you've <laughs> sold it so it. well. <laughs> Good. I look forward to that. That's great, Kaylee. Thanks again. And um, that film we talk, we're talking about was Princess Mononoke and the director was... Hayao Miyazaki. Thank you so much, guys, for letting me do this. <laughs> I really appreciate it. You cannot alter your fate, however. You can rise to meet it if you choose. That's it for this week from the Climate Alarm Clock and for this season's Culture Desk. Have you seen Princess Mononoke? Do you agree with Kaylee about how brilliant it is? Let us know at Climate Alarm on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter. And as always, please do remember to like and subscribe to our podcast and tell your friends. Thanks. Thanks.